This is a journey into sound. Greetings and welcome to the next episode of the Album Assignment Podcast. I'm your host, Dave, here with my friends, Gene and Mark. You want to say hello, guys? Hello, hello. Hello. How are you all? So this week, we're going to listen to my album assignment for you guys, Hello Nasty by the legendary Beastie Boys. Then we're going to discuss the classic progressive rock opus Relayer by the band Yes. And then finally, Gene will discuss his album assignment for us, which would be the original soundtrack to the movie Sorry to Bother You by hip-hop group The Coup. But let's kick it off with the OG hip-hop artists, the Beastie Boys. was after a run of truly incredible albums by them. And this is why I selected this album. I wanted to revisit it because I was a huge Beastie Boy. I remain a huge Beastie Boy fan. I can't imagine being friends with someone who isn't a Beastie Boy fan. They're just, <laughs> just a delightful artistic talent, you know? And in my opinion, like their first four or five albums leading up to this were all just Stone Cold classic. A or A plus level work if we're speaking about grading them. Um, but yeah, I was just pretty much a super fan. And then after a long break in between their previous album, Ill Communication, which had hit songs like Sabotage, and I thought was just artistically close enough to the predecessor, Check Your Head, but a little different to make it interesting. I was so amped up, you know, the 1998, that was like a sweet spot for me going to concerts, buying albums on CD. So I was ready, like, what do the Beastie Boys have to say to me now? And I remember the single dropped, Intergalactic, incredible song. That got me even more hyped because I was like, wow, we're, we are primed and ready for whatever they're about to hit us with. Then the album came out and I remember listening to it, wanting to like it so bad and just couldn't get into it. And I, I gave it a few spins and it wasn't like, I didn't think it was garbage. I didn't hate it, but it was the first time with the Beastie Boy album that I was disappointed. And it's unfair to them perhaps because they set the bar so high for so long that even like a really cool, good album or, and I think that's probably still my, my take on this album is that if anyone else had released something like this, maybe I would have been blown away. But the fact that it was the Beastie Boys and my expectations were through the roof it didn't live up to them. So uh, it's a long album. It's definitely got some classic songs on it and it's got a lot of experimentation. Um, so yeah, it, it was fun to revisit. I thought it was worthwhile. I'm curious 
you guys, it sounds like, like this album from the jump way more than I did. And I see Mark smiling, nodding, and yeah, I mean, I I agree with everything you said up until I think your thoughts on the album itself. I do think that they had a string of albums that were basically unbeatable. I mean, I have a long history with the Beastie Boys. Their first album, License Hill, is the first tape I ever bought. So I go a long ways back with them. I agree that when Hello Nasty came out, it was seemingly a departure. Check Your Head and Ill Communication. I mean, both of those albums had more hardcore and punk and a little bit more raw energy. And then here they come with like, looking like a Beastie Boys, like, you know, campy space epic or something. So I can imagine that setting some people off. But so I I went and bought the CD right when it came out. I don't know if I bought it on the actual release date. I probably did. Looks like it was July 14th, 1998. I put it on. And honestly, I thought it was a masterpiece from the first second I hit play. And I love pretty much every song on it. And I was I was actually surprised because the songs that aren't hard Beastie Boys rap a lot of you know there's a bunch of tracks on here that are you know other genres of music i mean there's like a brazilian vibe there's a reggae track um there's one song um where mca sings and his voice kind of sounds like thurston moore and it's kind of different and um i'm like i probably shouldn't like this but i was captivated by those songs too it just made for a flow of an album that i just really enjoyed not that i had like major parties back in 1998 but it is like a party record you could put this thing on and it has different moods and textures your classic beastie boys fun tracks and then like these other songs that are kind of interesting to kind of keep the party going and i just loved it thought it was creative and i have to say i've just listened to it four or five times and i found myself getting addicted to it i still think this album's a I think the album ends a little anticlimactic. Um, I think you might have needed it to either end at maybe Unite or throw one. I know it's a long enough album, but throw maybe one more classic like Beastie Boys cut in there. Dedication is just a total. It's like you don't put that song on an album already over an hour. I, I don't I don't know. Like, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. But it's there's just a, like there's a lot of b-sides on this album to me they're, they're cool sonically like they're, they're great experiments the band is incredible but i, I just like the the lee scratch perry song i don't yep. really need it i don't need dedication i mean there, there's quite a few b-sides you can make a case with those two but i still enjoy listening to them there's things about both of them that i actually really enjoy totally but yeah it just it kind of it, that's why like the whole album I'm like this is a masterpiece A plus all the way and then I'm like those two tracks I'm like oh no but fortunately it's the very end and they're so quick and it just kind of it's like alright it doesn't ding it that hard but I don't know if we're going to talk about those songs specifically I mean dedication is what oh. it is they're, they're throwing props to all these places around the world and <laughs> one of them is in my, my neck of the woods, they do throw a shout out to Gloucester, Massachusetts, which I appreciate. And one of them is Newcastle. That, that's what very, I'm saying. Very metal. <laughs> where, Ven where Venom's from. Where Venom is from. <laughs> I consider this my third favorite Beastie Boys album. Um, because 
I just prefer this style to what they're doing on Check Your Head. Like I, I and I get it now, but there is there is this creep of like a return to the old school that I don't always thinks works. Um, in particular, um, I've never been big on body moving. Uh, it's just, well, I just, Mark just dropped oh in his chair. Oh my God. Body moving and intergalactic back to back. I mean, that's like, that makes this album pretty much an A. I, right there. Um, I just want to talk about uh, how I interpret some of this because I don't want to rain on your guys' parade or anything. But a lot of these songs to me just feel like kind of have a lethargic feel to them with a few exceptions like intergalactic and three mcs and one dj that like kick it into high gear but it even the rap songs like the move and remote control as one of the lamest choruses like it's such a bad chorus <laughs> these are the songs that like kick the album off so i'm already just not loving it from song two three four five and then we get into body moving and intergalactic but even that first solid chunk of songs they're all just okay to me uh you know so you start off with super disco breaking which is great i think amazing amazing and then you go into the move and i'm listening to it and Um, is the move great I, i don't know yes but i'm listening to it and i'm like damn like susan knows that i say well, I'm intercontinental when I eat French toast all the time and dogs love me because I'm crazy sniffable. And, you know, it's got that crazy Spanish uh, oh, that's outro so at the end. And, and like, oh. that's, that's total Paul's boutique of just like oh, throwing so it. And what it's, it's funny. Uh, I read the translation of what it was. It was once upon a time, there was a grand King with a lot of land, a castle and even a lover. Or, uh, you know, Una More, however that translates. That's awesome, Gene. You know, I was curious. I always wanted to yeah. know it, yeah. what that translated to. And then when the beat, when he, you know, that melody that he sings yeah, yeah. is catchy. He sings it. And then Mix Master Mike drops that beat on top right. of it. I'm sorry, but if you're not nodding your head in two seconds to that shit. I agree. I love that sample and I love that part of the song, but that's really the outro. And it's like a bridge between songs. I mean, to me, yeah, okay. you know, and it is the most Paul's Boutique-esque moment, you know, uh, which I, I love that part, but I can't say that I love these songs. I don't know. Oh. That song's a masterpiece. I and that, that is love MCA it. singing chilled out. And I just, it really hit me listening to it and paying attention to the lyrics. This is like a Brian Wilson song. always it jumps out and it's like this isn't what you expect but but like it's great and it's here is that the one I, where his voice sounds like thurston Moore, kind of i don't know yeah. i don't know do, 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 do. I, I can't hit those notes I, I that, was just, that was just my excuse to get gene to sing well played <laughs> well played that song is uh performed 
with I don't know if it was co-written by Miho Hattori of Chibomato. Yes. Right. Yeah. I've never listened to Chibomato really. I wonder if they sound like uh, that. But I, I also think she's just doing the background vocals. Mm. I um, want to say that she may have been um, a partner of one of the Beastie Boys, maybe at this time. Could be. I mean, that, <laughs> yeah. that, that song's really, really beautiful. But reading the lyrics to this album, what's interesting is this might be the so the the influence of MCA and um, his concern with making the world a better place are actually all over, mostly on the second half of this album. Uh, and I don't know is kind of like this uh, very Buddhist of kind of like trying to understand um, what the right way of life is. Um, and it's just, it's really interesting because I had sent you guys that tweet that's like all Beastie Boys lyrics are like three little piggies, egg fried rice. I spy some girlies and they all look nice. And and like I could have a conversation with you guys about, you know, I, I guess I'm bitter that like every time I have an album where nobody can hear the lyrics, you guys are like, and the lyrics are so bad. <laughs> and, and I'm like, well, OK, the, the Beastie Boys, obviously, they have good lyrics, but honestly, like 80 percent of Beastie Boys song while the lyrics are memorable and fun and they stick in your head, it's also like, what was that song about? It's kind of like, we're here. You're going to dance. Let's get down. All right. I'm back. You know me. <laughs> like, I mean, it's if you just it's like, can you have good lyrics that have nothing to say? Yes. Hang on to that thought for a little while, Gene. OK. All right. But speaking of lyrics, I got to say, that's one of my disappointments on Hello Nasty is I'm not enamored with the lyrics. They felt, I don't, I don't, I hate saying lazy or phoned in because I doubt that that was the case. But just for me, they're not as clever on this album. They're not as sharp. Um, the songs aren't coming together or gelling. Yeah. Uh, I, this this album, I think the boys though. I mean, they're going to fry you in their walk. I mean, that's just what they do. Well, that's a good thing. Both of you guys realize, have you ever like thought it through when he says, and this is totally immature, but I love it. He's got the D double O D double O style. That's doo doo style. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I just, I just love that he's saying something so absurd and he just hides it by spelling it out and you don't even realize how ridiculous it is. Um, I think this album though, it needed more work. It didn't all quite come together. Um, but I can't like look at this and be like, there's not think it all great stuff together. here. You think it all comes together? Yeah, I do. I, I think it's amazing work. I think their songs are super creative. I think they're classic style Beastie Boys lyrics. I'm not expecting them to do anything different. I want the, you know, when I'm in Holland, I eat the pan of coke in. I want crazy <laughs> Beastie Boys lyrics. And then you actually do get these other songs that are a little bit more mature and are a little different. Song for the Man um, is right. kind of a unique... <laughs> I think um, we'd be remiss talking about this album if we didn't talk about Mario C because he is all over this album on some of my favorite tracks. And um, I guess he went on to work with a bunch of big acts like um, 
Jack Johnson and Beck and Bjork and Blur and a lot of other bands that start with the letter B. Mm. But uh, yeah, he's on a bunch of these tracks and I feel like he's on he Body Moving and Intergalactic and 3M, oh no, not 3MCs, but uh, he, he was bringing a special sauce to some of these songs, I think. Yeah. I just knew him from the call out in Intergalactic. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure one of my friends in college uh, at one point thought the Beastie Boys were Mario C, Jazz, and AWOL. <laughs> Mario C likes to keep it clean. Yeah, and Jazz and AWOL, that's our team. Now, here's something crazy. <laughs> um, AWOL is the name they gave to Amory Smith, who was a close associate of the band. Um, you two probably both know him as he was the drummer on the first Suicidal Tendencies record. Whoa, which is kind of amazing. Like Gene just this, going deep research. I like it. My research was so deep that I'm the king of boggle. There is none higher. I get 11 points off the word quagmire. I looked it up. <laughs> quagmire is worth 11 points. Hey, <laughs> great. It's great. And anybody that would say, you know, I don't know, negative things about the lyrics. It's like, I mean, I guess even the Beastie Boys can have lyrics that aren't going to be as good as others, but it's all fun, and I don't think it, it, it warrants, like, major dissection. I should just mention, I know it sounds like I'm being a negative Nancy on this album, but I was really impressed with the song that I totally forgot about. You know, it was all practically might as well have been new to me, which was Putting Shame in Your Game, which was like a hip hop song that almost had a Dr. Octagon or Dan the Automator style beat to it. It's yeah. really trippy and surreal. Um, but it also, even that one had a bit of a lethargic feel to it. It just feels kind of like the beats are, are slowing down and getting quieter and like, you know, they're, they're just not, they don't have the energy that some of the more upbeat stuff does and they don't need to, but on a 22 track album, to me, I, I prefer a balance between, you know, the energetic tracks and the tracks that are just kind of like sonic experiments that kind of fizzle out, um, you know, or, or the more mellow stuff, which I love at times, but it's just, it's all about the balance and the ratio to me. And on this one, it's tilted a little bit to my liking. Do you think like, way. are you like doubling up on the disappointment? I'm curious because you obviously weren't crazy about it when it came out. You're willing to give it another shot. I would think ideally with the hopes that maybe you'll have come around to it after all these years, something old, you're like, whoa, this, this sounds different in 2022. Well, it sounds like it's still pretty much rings true from when you first heard it so is it like almost like doubly disappointing well, have to I go mean, back? does that mean we should be giving grades to this album? no uh, <laughs> I, I, I think we should that, give grades that, that could be a lead-in sure great time 
I think production-wise, this album is unbelievable. I think it's so creative. It's so well done. Even the, the echo and the vocals and the way things bleed into each other. You listen to And Me on headphones. There's things going on in there. It's just, it, it's amazing. And I just, I don't know. I found myself getting addicted to it, the flow of the album and like knowing what's coming up. I think for the evolution of the Beastie Boys, I think it's really kind of cool that they went in this direction. But um, I can tell you that Hello Nasty is through and through an amazing album. I'm going to give it an A+. Plus. I, think it's nice. an ab- I think it's an absolute masterpiece. I think it's um, one of the best albums of its time. I think all of the Beastie Boys songs themselves are fantastic and super fun and super creative. And then you have all of these other like interlude songs, you know, Song for the Man and Me. Every single song interlude for song. Junior. Song for Junior we didn't even talk about is great. I don't know. We all agree is amazing. And I mean, yeah, I, I think it's awesome. Song good. for Junior's got the, the Oye Como Va feel. Yeah. yeah, I think I said Brazilian earlier. Yeah. But I, it's that, not really that's... Brazilian. Not so Brazilian. There's no uh, Tropicalia. Caetano Veloso kicking in here. I, I was a little off on that one. Okay, I give this album an A. Um, I. It is an A with a crossed out minus. Um, because really, like, Dave, a lot of your complaints about the complaints about length are correct. And then that's interesting. It's like, you know, this is something I said about Nazem, which is like, um, it's hard to say that more makes things worse, even though everybody knows more makes things worse. But like, it, it, when the highs are so high and just this album's from out of left field for me, like I just, you know, like a lot of my favorite songs on this album are these little quirky experiments and i think they work really well and i think it makes for just a really enjoyable listen um you know uh, i don't know song for junior uh pleasantly uh, surprised picture this picture this is a great song like something on the windowsill caught her eye and held her still like that's that's haunting and cool and it's like and the beastie boys are doing it because they can and they're good at it and fuck you for wanting ill communication like redone like we're not going to do it um you know electrify has a call out to the sorrow and the pity <laughs> these does these it, are the, does it really it does it does these are um and then like you know reading the lyrics it was super interesting of like you know like uh electrify is about yaukes like philosophy of self-realization finding peace all that it's like yeah they're not you know they're not just uh making noise with clever rhymes um and again like this is you know i would say like what does it mean that like are the lyrics to this album good if if i never like knew what anything was about for so long is that a requisite to having good lyrics? Um, but I do know I enjoy this album. So I think like, this is what I love about the Beastie Boys and the album, I think if they would have given it more time could have really been better, but it's an excellent album. Hey. Um, yeah, so it was definitely a fun experiment for me revisiting this and I probably listened to it more in the past week 
than I ever have in my entire Beastie Boy love and life. I will say that I'm not mad at this album. I'm just disappointed in it. You know, there's <laughs> like there's too many masterful moments for me to dismiss it outright or to diss it. I would never do that. Like this band is way too creative and interesting for me to say that it's not good or not bad. But I got to say, for me, the high highs are offset by some low lows. And like almost the entire second half after that, you know, exciting intergalactic and 3MC and 1DJ, it just really starts to drag for me, even, even though there's great moments and great parts and even an occasional great song like I don't know might be in that section and it but it's always like a peak in a valley for my interest where I perk up and I get excited and then I kind of wait for the next cool part again you know as far as the lyrics go it maybe it's just a subjective thing and it just feels cornier to me because they're they're older guys now and maybe they were a little more serious on check your head and I thought they were going in that direction and they reeled it back into the goofy territory but i guess they were kind of they're always a little goofy there's no question i just feel like for me they were more memorable and again maybe it's because i was a younger listener so some of the silly rhymes really resonated and i thought they were fun and hilarious but hearing mike d you know with his whiny style being like can't wind your body without the body rock just feels like i'm (laughs) listening to like children's music or something and None of the cleverness or humor really, I think, is that great. But, you know, again, that might just be me being older or me judging them because they're older. And I think they should be coming up with something a little more clever or interesting. Uh, if I am forced to put a grade on it, you which know. Which you are. Which I am. I'm contractually obligated to grade everything. And if I was given a grade, I'm going to have to say there's just a handful of tracks that are just that are masterpieces so that bumps it up if 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 intergalactic wasn't on this album it would probably be a, a c plus or a b minus for me but when you get intergalactic you get i don't know you get 3 mcs and 1 dj i got to give it a b okay it's it's got it's got three or four of their all time best songs and then a bunch of songs that are goodish Goodish, goodish. Yeah. These, these, solid. I mean, would would you say that you would have given it a B had you assigned a grade to it in July of '98? No, I, I probably would have been harsher on it because, like, I, I honestly hadn't listened to it that much since, between then and now because I, I was so disappointed. <laughs> and now I can I can appreciate that even the songs I don't love have moments I love, like that you know the spanish sample and the move you know i'll just wait for that part to kick in and i'm like okay oh my god i love that so much i do too but i don't love most of the song leading up to it which is which is my problem with the album and i know that's that's purely my problem not everyone's problem but yeah i mean uh, there's, there's so many momentum killers in these songs that that keep it from being a great album in my in my mind but they're still an all-time great band this is a very worthy album and i'm glad i got to revisit it i wish i loved it as much as their other stuff but that's okay they, they've given us enough they've given me hours and hours of countless enjoyment even on this album so speaking of an album that probably needs more work oh <laughs> Mark. oh horrible segue horrible segue. oh i like it i like mark, it mark tell us about it all right we'll talk about relayer 
So Yes is a band that is incredibly special for me. I am gonna say they're a top five band for me all time. It's been a long process of listening to them to get them to the top five, but I have had some, similarly to Pharaoh Sanders, um, I have had some deeply powerful um, experiences listening to their music. And Relayer is definitely one of their best albums. I think that pretty much all of their albums from their first one through Going for the One, 1977, are pretty much all masterpieces. The first two, maybe not quite masterpiece, but basically from the Yes album, Fragile, Close to the Edge, Tales from Topographic Oceans, this album, Relayer, and Going for the One, all masterpieces. One of the best runs of any band in the 70s. Maybe any artist other than like Stevie Wonder, maybe. I Mark, mean, just one masterpiece after another. As a Metallica fan, um, I have to ask, did they release an album called Layer? And then this was kind of the tracks they had left over and they just repackaged <laughs> it and put this one out? Very funny. No, there is no Layer. <laughs> the, um, there is a line using the word Relayer on one of the songs from Tales from Topographic Oceans. You go enjoy that double album find it so that's your homework assignment i turn to these albums time and time again and they all hold a very special place in my heart and i think if you people are willing to give them a chance i think you can have some deeply profound spiritual experiences relayer is probably one of their darker albums which again is why i thought maybe gene would appreciate a song like gates of delirium um, that has war themes it has a reference to hell there's a clash and a battle and at one point, the band tips over this huge amount of like auto metal yeah. parts and creates this crazy crashing sound and it's cacophony. Um, a cacophony. And um, I think that track, Gates of Delirium, or God, if you want to go there. Um, I did not notice that. One of their master works, maybe their single best song. And um, Relayer is, has a similar structure as Close to the Edge one epic side-long track on side A, and then two medium-sized long tracks on the second side. And every time I listen medium to- Medium-sized long for yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, ten, it's it's only nine minutes. It's change, only nine minutes. You know? It's medium long. Uh, Gates of Delirium flips me out every time. I've heard it a million times. It builds to that peak. And when the- synthesizers start going and it it just it's all tension and release and it explodes in this release and then steve howe does that slide guitar thing where he takes it over to the neck it's just it's just masterful to me the playing on this album is brilliant you should it's, note that um this was an album that marked the departure of rick wakeman yeah that's right going into was, this album absolutely no that's a great segue uh, patrick Moraz, this is the only album that he was on studio album for yes and i think his playing is amazing yeah he definitely adds a jazz fusion and funk elements especially on sound chaser i want to i want to talk about rick wakeman um because i don't know too much but like so i read he left because he didn't like the jazz um the jazz direction the band was going in and what i would say is how would you characterize the kind of music that rick wakeman wanted to play as best as you know because rick wakeman I'm was very much more influenced by classical music 
Okay. Patrick Mraz is jazz fusion. He's like return to forever kind of like weather report fusiony style yeah. playing. Whereas Rick Wakeman, he is very heavily classical influenced in his solos, even though they get very trippy synthy. Um, much more classical influence. I mean, this is a guy who wrote Six Wives of Henry VIII. He did, you know, Prague on Ice. I mean, this guy is like, he wore the cape. Yeah, he was a wizard. He was a wizard. He's a wizard. Who who wore the cape first? Rick Wakeman or uh, Keith Emerson? I got to go with Wakeman, probably. Okay. But the interesting thing, too, about Wakeman, just to give him a shout out for a second, is in addition to being a wizard and one of the greatest keyboardists ever, um, he also was a uh, for hire session musician and played on some unbelievable albums. Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Yeah, things you wouldn't realize, like the first Lou Reed album. He yeah. also plays piano all, I don't want to say all throughout, but on the, many of the tracks on Hunky Dory by David Bowie. Yeah. Um, brilliant guy. But yeah, he's had issues. He had issues all throughout, I think, his time with Yes. I know he loved Close to the Edge. But Tales from Topographic Oceans totally burned him out. It also caused Bill Bruford left to go join King Crimson. So then you have um, the now, unfortunately, late Alan White joins the band, has to learn basically all the material to go on tour in like three days. Um, but yeah, Wakeman splits for a, for Relayer. Patrick Mraz comes in, absolutely kills it, sounds phenomenal, and then he's gone. And then we're back to Wakeman for going for the one. Um, but I want to definitely shout out Patrick Mraz. I mean, he is kind of a legend in the in the prog world. I mean, even just for his work on this one album. If did, you, ever, did you ever hear his band Refugee? That he I came have from? not. I, it makes me want to check it out. Me too. So uh, let me let me get this out of the way. Um, I've never truly gotten into Yes, and this album. I'm glad I kept listening to it because it grew on me. But I just have to say, I just can't do John Anderson's vocals. I, I think that, remember when we listened to Alkaloid and he's like, and I said, the vocalist has like this prog voice and it's just kind of like technically okay, but just kind of there. I think like of all the prog bands, like, like, Rush, Genesis, King Crimson, I think these vocals are by far the worst. And more or less, you know, I think I had to kind of ignore them or just not get too caught up in them because they're uninteresting for me. I need to get like a, you know, that's the connect, that's the human connection in the music. And, and from John Anderson, like, I, I can't say more than like, it just it just doesn't do anything for me. He's no Lord uh, Worm. So no Lord Worm. No Lord Worm. No, we no, no, know no. this. And and this. and I knew you guys wow. were Lord Worm is projecting disgust and anger and despair and all these things. And he's doing it because his voice is twisted and gnarly and crazy. And Tom Waits is sitting there like it sounds like he's dying at the piano and you're like, whoa, that guy's serious. He's not fucking around. And then you get John Anderson and he's like, and it's just like, 
and then oh my god okay and, and let me tell you i like the album oh, i like man. the album but the line he just like sit dave when we listened to uh um terry allen i think i had some beef at one point i think it was terry allen i had some beef i'm like why is why is he singing like the texas tears i'm like texas tears is about heartbreak and feeling bad and it still has the texas tears and and i was like no that's a disconnect what are you doing i i was i like i was angry i wrote in when when he sang slay them burn their children's laughter onto hell it's if you weren't paying attention to the words you'd think he'd say like you know Winter's coming and it's Christmas time. There's just no kind of indication that these lyrics mean anything to him. And I just, I oh. kind of hate that. Oh. So then you have this massive- well, I can tell you those lyrics mean a lot to John Anderson. Okay. Deep, so the, deeply spiritual individual. You so ever see you, him live? I've seen them live. He feels every word he sings. They were so old. I think they feel every word they sing and for other reasons. And that line too, on to hell. That's actually for yes. That's about. That's pretty dark for them. Actually, no, I I, I agree. It's just it was just kind of it, it's sing songy. Let, let me like, ask you this. Let me ask you this. Okay, so you're not in love with John Anderson's vocals. I, it's yeah. fun. It's funny because that's I, I hear that a lot about Getty Lee because he's such a distinct tone. It even took me a little while to get into it. Yeah, I will say I think of like salesman. I think like Heart of the Sunrise from Fragile might maybe be John Anderson's best vocal performance. There's other songs where I could probably pinpoint better specific John Anderson vocal performances. But what about the end of Gates of Delirium, which was actually excised and released as yeah. a standalone single called Soon? Did you uh, not feel any emotion um, or anything from that segment of the song? So, and it's okay if you didn't, but like when you're talking about yeah. not feeling anything, I mean, to me, that, that brings people to tears. Soon, soon works. Um, yeah. Okay. Yes. So you have this yes. crazy, you have this crazy instrumental run and then you have like this cool down period for like a minute and 15. And then they start introducing some themes that are going to carry through soon. And when he sings soon, like it's, the vocals are good there, but I, I just, I think this guy is limited and he just doesn't do it for me. Um, I, I, I wrote at one point about the initial, about the initial uh, vocal part. I said, um, it's eight minutes in and it's very cool, but I'm not sure this is necessarily a great song. It's more interesting um, whenever there's instrumental breaks. Like, I just think, uh, yeah i but but you can't deny what they're doing with those instruments and i think one of the things i said was other than steve howe none of them seem virtuosic but it's like it's crazy the interplay 
So like the way everything fits together is just amazing. And I said, um, what's that? Chris Squire, his bass lines are more like amazingly tasteful than blow you away with, I can't believe he just did that. Now, again, I have a lens where I've listened, you know, I mean, there's more virtuosos alive today than probably in the history of time. There's like kids on YouTube who can do all kinds of crazy things. And that's just the world we live in now. Um, but yeah, amazing music. And uh, I well, think- Gene, I, I don't, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna back you up a little bit because I don't want you to feel alone on this part of the podcast. I felt alone every podcast so far. <laughs> I don't want you to feel that way. <laughs> so, we, so we just broke down on uh, Hello Nasty. Yeah, but that's because we were just telling Dave he was wrong. That's easy. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to say I'm I'm a big Yes fan. I love Yes to pieces, but I understand where you're coming from with John Anderson because I think at times he's incredible, like on Soon. Uh, yeah. It totally works for me. It's a beautiful ballad part of that song. But there are times where there's a shrillness that um, that doesn't kind of match the virtuosic nature of the the other players like his vocal acrobatics aren't as impressive as them and the, the there's not the deep well of emotion at times like like you're saying when they get really dark and heavy like his voice isn't reflecting what that scene is trying to portray i get that i get that but i will say as you go on a yes adventure you know certain songs it totally works certain songs you just it's you know the Getty Lee situation where maybe it's a bit of a grower on you and at maybe. first you're, you're like oh this is this is not my style but over time you're like this is the only guy who could have been yes as singer Be also because the lyrics are often so lofty he almost in my head he's like this angelic guy he's like a pure even the name of the band yes is like a totally optimistic positive statement you know, and, and, and then he exudes that. So even though I'm not always 100% like wowed by the by his vocals, I, I do think they're distinct, which counts for something. I don't think he's like a stock rock vocalist. I just think sometimes I'd, I'd hope for something that I personally connect to a little bit more or had a little more depth to it. But um, I, do I believe it was uh, Tretch who said, well, positive ain't where I live. <laughs> clearly <laughs> but yeah I, I do think um he's the only guy who could have been yes a singer and he helps make them a unique band so i can't picture even a quote-unquote better singer would work with yes it's just he is yes in a lot of ways so like okay here's here's something i debated and i don't know how i feel about this the first time i heard the line to alter via the war that's seen as friction spans the spirits worth ascending to redeem it was like, I wonder if he, my first thought was, I wonder if he wrote the lyrics first or not as like, you know, a joke because he really like squeezes that into that line. But then he does that like two or three other times. And I was like, oh, he means to do this. Like he says, um, <laughs> guide the leader's hand in paths of glory. No, guide the leader's hand in paths of glory to the cause or, or it's like, totally rushes the end of it and it was um that was definitely a different sound that dave did you 
Have you ever picked up on that? Um, no, I, I can't say no. I don't think I have. Um, I do. I do notice that like there's just so much going on. It's like yes. such a sonic onslaught that I'm probably more paying attention to like, wow, I just spent five minutes without noticing the bass, and now the bass is going off, and yeah. I'm realizing how sick it is. Or, or I could do that with any of the the instruments. Yeah, um, and I mean, I'm think... I feel like uh, Steve Howell will slow down and speed up the same riff or he'll play it later, yeah. but it's just like way faster yeah, no, no, no. and it messes well, with my head. He also, he does this thing at one point where he like modulates it up to build tension and it's such a lame trick and stupid, but I'm listening to it and I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> like it just, it just, he just makes it work. Like, cause it's like, you know, bands do that and it's, it feels kind of cheap, but something about the way he worked it in, it's it, it, it definitely hit me as, oh, it's working for him. I'm just picturing these dudes in the studio, like surrounded by all sorts of instruments, recording it live and just like putting something down and picking it up and doing their part. And then we're, they, know, were, just... they were literally banging on auto parts and accidentally knocked over their shelf of auto parts. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the composition is just mind-blowing what these guys can accomplish and if you want to hear kind of what gates of delirium sounded like they actually have a like one of the first studio run-throughs where they play the entire thing through um on the as a bonus track on the reissue of the layer it's uh, definitely worth a shot so um sound chaser also brings us the amazing cha 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 and uh, I don't know, like... That worked for you. That's good stuff. <laughs> Definitely more jazz fusion, like the, the sound chaser is definitely, um, yeah, it's a departure from a lot of their other stuff, like, because that's Patrick Mraz too. He was just coming in and, and bringing a definitely a different style. Hey, speaking, speaking of Mraz, I just want to go back to Gates of Delirium for a moment, because yeah. I do feel like the song kind of keeps growing and building and building until almost like the halfway point of the song, at which point he just starts busting out some crazy synth riff yeah there's just like cascading guitar flourishes playing over it is that the peak riff of da na 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 it must be yeah oh my god it sounds so good that riff that peak i mean i listen to a lot of honestly like a lot of like jammy music and that is the point it's it's a lot of tension and release classical music does it constantly this is an example of when a band can do a 21 minute and 55 second long track and every part is interesting and creative and flows right into the next one. And it has excitement, build, release, tension, and then a come down section, a denouement, if you will. It's just brilliant. Perhaps if Gates of Delirium were about going to war with cephalopods, <laughs> it would have really really landed for me 
Um, when you talk about spiritual, can we talk about the last song to be over? Um, cause I think that's definitely, uh, that's the most laid back and introspective of the three songs. That song starts out beautifully. Um, and then they get to a riff that I'm like, hey, Rush riffs, uh, rips that off in Xanadu. <laughs> uh, Probably. I mean, they definitely and, acknowledge yes. And then, you know, no when question. you were like, Dave might appreciate the country stylings, you know, you come, in, you come in with the vocals and it's a little country. And, and I wrote like, this just kind of feels like a, a, a lame soft rock song. Uh, and like, again, the instruments come in at their parts and redeem it. And it's like, wow, this is, this is really good. I can't deny it, but like, um, and then like the last minute and a half, it's just, it's just a masterwork with the outro medley and the chant. And I looked it up and like their non-words, the lyrics, did you ever see the lyrics to the chant? I, at the end? I actually don't recall them. It's it's new psalm du lay sa du ra. Oh. Like it's just people are just chanting. It was supposed to sound like people singing, but oh. he didn't want there to be a message. There was this quote that like John Anderson said, like, yeah, the, that was never supposed to mean anything. It's just syllables. But like I I don't know, there was some line in there where he's like, I thought it summed up everything I didn't vibe with he said like after all your soul will surrender <laughs> after all don't doubt your part be ready to be love and it was just like what is this like i, I just I, i've talked about Church. this too much I've talked about this too much, but I'm just like, he's Shane, like- Shane was more into the cha-cha-cha-cha-cha. I was. Cha-cha-cha-cha-cha. That was, honestly, that was my favorite vocal part, perhaps, on the whole album. So funny. It's we fun. are, I really could not have predicted this episode going this way. I thought for sure, when I listen to this album, each time that part comes in, I love it. I'm like, Jesus, I hate the shit out of this. The cha-cha-cha. He's going to scorch the earth with me over this cha-cha part. <laughs> I, I will say I have a witness. I told Susan, I'm like, Susan, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to tell him these vocals are terrible. And Mark's going to be like, you had us listen to Lord Worm. <laughs> I mean, there is some irony here, at least like, you know. No, it's it's not irony at all. It's like what I look for in a vocal performance is emotion and possibly like that human connection. Would you say Lord and, Worm is human? Yeah. That's like it's it's he's a human that sounds like he's like dying or like losing his mind. <laughs> I I don't like uh kind of standard traditional vocals. I have huge debates with Susan where I say that's my wife for the listeners. And uh I I talk about how Christina Aguilera would be better replaced by a set of pitch pipes because there's nothing in behind that voice and she gets all upset and says like no people love her this or that and i'm like it just doesn't do it for me and you, i need you think i mean you think john anderson just sounds like a stock vocalist because i could see not vibing with it or thinking it's a little shrill but i think it's very i think he's got a unique voice he sounds like the he sounds like the guy who volunteered to do it and he could hit notes <laughs> So they were wow. like, Gene's like Buddy Rich when he flies off the handle. Yeah, I can rant. 
Well, is it is it time to uh, time to give our grades? All right. <laughs> Uh, Relayer is uh, a great album, an album I've loved for a long time. I've listened to it many, many times, but I'm glad you picked it for the podcast because I'd never listened to it on headphones before and I've never really sat down and studied it. I kind of just enjoy it and let it wash over me. Um, and the amazing thing, the funny thing is about, you know, I have this deserved reputation with you guys as loving hooks but I also love a lot of prog music and I guess bands like Yes managed to cram so many memorable hooks into a song. It's incredible to me. Um, like the guitar pieces and the keyboard flourishes and everything about it just comes together so seamlessly. Um, and it's a testament to Yes that this is like definitely not my favorite Yes album. It's probably like maybe the fourth or fifth favorite Yes, album of mine, but it, I still think it's absolutely incredible. It's probably a masterpiece, but I'm just going to ding it just a little bit because there are times where it, I, I maybe drift off a little bit where it doesn't completely captivate and hold my attention um, throughout. But the beautiful things is it, it always hooks it back in. So, um, and I can see, you know, having a really elevated experience listening to this. Um, it's just, you know, the soft ballady stuff is gorgeous and the intense stuff is just head scrambling. So I'm going to give it an A minus. Just a classic, awesome album. Love it to pieces. Good review. Um, but yeah, it makes me want to uh, go back and listen to all their shit again because they're so good. And this album is very, very well made. Um, this album has so many amazing performances on it. Um, immediately, I thought Sound Chaser was an amazing song that blew me away. And it followed The Gates of Delirium, which I thought was a massive achievement with great parts, but there were things I didn't like about it. And then the last song, I was just kind of like, oh man, it's bookended so well. It's so good at the start, so great at the end. Um, and then I listened to it again today and when I'm not being critical of the vocals, I just listened to the other stuff and I noticed everything I liked better. Um, and it was like, maybe the key for me is familiarity and maybe I don't like, uh, John Anderson's vocals, but maybe like, if it's like, John Anderson is the singer of Yes. This is what Yes sounds like. They have John Anderson vocals and it's like, I just accept it. And I don't say like, why isn't he doing more? Maybe that's better. And for me to be yes. over is clearly the worst song of the three. Um, but really I would say could have used some editing and maybe it's a little bit tighter. And so I moved up my grade from yesterday, um, just this morning, and I would give this album an A minus. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah. That's the band. Come on now. Yes is one of the greatest bands. So I guess it's time for me to do uh, 
Give your C plus and give, move on. Give, give my C plus. <laughs> I'm just going to quickly shout out a couple of things. Number one, this album was produced by Eddie Offord, who was probably more famous as an engineer, but he engineered the first like four or five Emerson, Lake and Palmer albums. Who I also want to throw in there in that terms of quintessential prog band list. They go right in there also. And every time I'm listening to any of those bands, again, maybe not quite tall ELP, definitely Genesis, Crimson, Rush, yes. I am in love and think they're the best band ever. But yes, I have to say, I will say declaratively that yes is my favorite of all of those bands. From the Yes album through Going for the One are all A pluses. Okay, is it my turn? Yeah, sorry to bother Eugene, but you want to talk about the coup? (laughs) I do. I can't say I am an expert on the Coup's history. Um, They are an Oakland hip hop band that has been around since 1993. Um, um, This is their first album since 2012, um, the Sorry to Bother You soundtrack. It was released in 2018 uh, alongside uh, the movie of the same name. Their previous album in 2012 was called Sorry to Bother You. Super confusing. Yes. And the story is that Boots Riley, um, their lead vocalist, wrote the script and it wasn't going anywhere. So he wrote an album of music. He felt um, kind of told the story of the script. Things change in six years. He started gaining momentum. He got the movie made and he made a completely different soundtrack, uh, which is this album here. This album is my favorite coup album. Um, And it actually is much more pop friendly and energetic than uh, their other stuff. Um, Although people love certain coup albums. Um, One, uh, so... Two little tidbits, one of which is absolutely insane uh, about the coup. Uh, two of their songs were on the soundtrack to the movie Superbad. Um, they play their own instruments. So um, they are. Uh, I was going to ask you about that. Yes. So it really makes their sound kind of unique in the world of hip hop that they're playing their Definitely. own stuff here. And then the absolute crazy story I need to tell is that their 2001 album, Party Music. Have you guys heard about this? No. Their 2001 album, Party Music, was uh, intended to be released in September of that year, but did not come out until November because the cover of the album was Boots Riley and I believe the female vocalist Silk E with a detonator in front of the Twin Towers. Whoa. (laughs) And um, they just, uh, they are very, they are, as you guys might have picked up on, they are vehemently anti-capitalist and pretty much straight up communist. Um, And they were making a statement about capitalism 
but realized that this was inappropriate um, after the events in, uh, of 9-11. So. Yeah, and I know with Boots's political leanings uh, comes through very much in the movie, which highly recommend. I think it's incredible. It's one of the funniest, most bizarre movies of the last few years. So it, it, is the movie how you got into the soundtrack? Or you know, it no, it's not. Um, the soundtrack was released on the sly on Spotify, and I don't even remember how I came across it. But somehow a song on the original album, Sorry to Bother You, called The, um, called the Guillotine, uh, came across my, ba- uh, my path. And I would say The Guillotine is one of the best hip hop tracks ever written, bar none. Um, so I almost recommended that album, but honestly, I like this album just as a, this album, this album, what I love about this album, it's very political. It's a party album. Um, and it's like fun to listen to, but it's got a message. Um, and I, I actually, you know, going back to what I said earlier about a disconnect, I think you can tell like, you know, it's not, I think he he does his job of delivering his stance on these things and it's not masked by the feel, but it's also like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of celebration on this album. Yeah, and I, I think, think of this as an angry album. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, it's not angry per se, but like um, there's a lot of songs on this album that highlight the dichotomy of we're making progress. This is great. Let's live and party and celebrate but we have to keep our eye on the prize and we still have so many problems and we still should be able to do better. So um, that's how I would describe it. And speaking of the movie, the very first track features the star of the film. Is he singing or rapping? He's rapping, right? He raps the second verse. He's really good. Yeah. Um, In in that, uh, the the first song is called O-Y-A-H-Y-T-T for oh yeah all right hell yeah that's tight um but he's the guy what is the lyric he says um uh give me that change like he does this like vocal thing which really doesn't come across as actor guest rapping on an album (laughs) like he 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 does really well i feel like there's a lot of actors nowadays who have legit rap experience and you'd be surprised like uh david diggs <laughs> david diggs or the dude from sound of metal riz ahmed he's a yeah. rapper and like they're all pro- professional rappers you know like legit quality rappers um yeah so that song obviously has like huge pop hooks to it as as do a lot of these songs hey saturday night the the follow-up featuring indie darlings tune yards who play on a couple of tracks. I mean, that's got upbeat energy. It's got like the, the quotable chorus. It's a little, a little goofy for my taste at times, but, um, but it's fun. Saturday, it's a, hey, Saturday night. Yeah. Yeah. It's like kind of cool, but <laughs> also kind of really corny. I don't know. It's, it's walking this, this, fine yeah, line okay but like i mean i think like that pop music goes there a lot like Definitely. the 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 line between genuinely happy and celebratory song and this is a corny jingle 
really, really thin. This is correct. This is correct. Yeah. Um, I do like that this album has so many cool guest stars like Janelle Monet is on a few tracks and then yeah. halfway through the album, Killer Mike shows up for Monsoon and does what he does, which is his, always impressive. His 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 stuff on Monsoon is is out of this world, I think, you know. coming to mind at, at times i don't want to oversell it because i don't think the coup really achieved this level of grandiosity and genius but there's definitely a prince vibe through yeah, a lot of this. that's that's what i would say so much uh, awesome funk and you know great danceable stuff on here and you know th there are times where the guitar is just going off a bit and i'm like oh you could tell this dude just or lady i'm not sure they just listen to a lot of prints and they're channeling it right now in a cool way. The, the last track, actually, the synth reminded me of Prince. On the in, last track. And Crawl Out the Water. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of Prince influence on here. I, I would say I actually and that's that's more prevalent on this album than any of their other albums. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting that of all the coup albums, you picked this one because I, you know, in doing research on them, it'll be like, oh, party music was, you know, in New York Times best hip hop album of the year. Or that one was, you know, they yeah, get, yeah, yeah. they've garnered a ton of critical acclaim. And like you said, Guillotine was a huge track. And I think Tom Morello's on that album. Hmm. I know Boots. I don't is, know if Tom Morello is. Boots, Boots has a side project with Tom Morello, apparently. He does, <laughs> definitely. I was surprised to learn that uh, Boots is half Jewish. I did not know that. Huh. So Mark, you've been quiet. Are you uh, in to drop a bomb? I'm not dropping bombs. Um, I just want to start by saying, like, I never heard of The Coup before. I listened to the album. I love the live instrumentation. I was wondering the whole time whether it was them playing the music or not, but it didn't matter to me because the live instrumentation is awesome. Yeah. Um, definitely some nice heavy funk some rock elements i think the first song starts really pumping i love it it got me going right off the bat um when i went and looked them up after listening to it because i don't like to do the research at the beginning i don't want to let it influence my listen then when i was reading about them and reading about their incredibly left-leaning stance and all of that and they even have an album where they're throwing a shout out to Abby Hoffman. They have an album called Steal This Double Album. Yeah. I'm like, I think I would rather listen to an album called Steal This Double Album. Because I I think it was the second or third listen. It was probably the third listen was when I was like, this just sounds like a party album to me. I don't feel like anything revolutionary or anything out of this. Then I listened to it again and while reading the lyrics. And then, of course, because you yeah. can't hear everything that they're saying. When you read the lyrics the long you definitely see the political leanings. It is there. It's not yeah. to say this is just a party album, but I think it's a little bit more of a party album than I would have liked. I would have think I would have liked something a little bit more revolutionary, 
Um, I think that overall, there isn't any one track that I think is like particularly outstanding. I think the first couple songs are great. Um, I think Monsoon's really good, but I also think the beat of Monsoon, I don't like it as much as some of the other tracks because it's more of a um, like electronic drums than it is live. Yeah, this um, the second drums. The second half of this album is incredibly electronic sounding. Yeah, I liked the the real live. You know, I just like live instruments more. I think some of the lyrics are better than others. You know, level it up kind of bothered me because all it is is I want to level it up. L e v e, level it up. I'm gonna level it up, and then he throws Aaron Neville it up, and I'm no, like, uh, all right, you kind of redeemed yourself with that. <laughs> that's actually awesome. No, he says he says. Uh, I'm a level that shit. I'm a N, I'm a O, Aaron Neville that shit. <laughs> it's an interesting idea. That song is about how um, it's basically about our, our Black people wage slaves. And it's like, we, um, we do the work and we don't get any of the money. And there's a line about, we want to get the racks in the back. And I never knew this, but a rack is 10 stacks of $100 piles. So I don't know if that's like a retail thing when you're getting a lot of cash, you count it out and you put it like that. Um, but it ha that, that song has a great line where he says, um, now you see us standing in the shadow of a $5 bill, trying hard to pry off my collar still. Um, and it's basically like, why does he use the $5? And it's like, cause Lincoln's on the five and he's talking about how they need the money and Lincoln allegedly freed them, but like they're on this, you know, treadmill. But yeah, that no, song is, really that song is I, I do think with each listen to this album, if you read the lyrics and get further and further into it, I'm sure there's some obviously deep meaning. I mean, this, the coup is serious business. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no doubt. And they're incredibly talented. And the more I listened to it, the more I liked it. And the more I continued to listen to it, I'd probably go, you know, even further in terms of my enjoyment. But um, it's a quick album. It does yes. kind of come and go very fast. I mean, it's like, I don't know, 35 minutes or something. Yeah. So it's like right as a song's starting to stick with me, it's gone. And, you know, I end up like maybe some of the message is lost on me a little bit. I'm kind of hearing more of like the funk and the rock and, you know, I got hung up on what the girl motherfucking want to do. And, you know, and then some of the other stuff, you know, I think I, if I, you know, you really need to sit and pay attention to it. But overall, it's good. You know, I really like it. I don't really have too many negative things to say about it. It just um, didn't like, oh didn't my God, that. you know, it's just, it's good. It's just good funk, rock, hip hop. Some of it, I mean, don't, don't hate on me. I'm not trying to make a direct comparison because I'm also not an expert on all of this, but I felt a lot of Outkast. Okay. It just, um, a lot of it felt like it could have been yeah, right off of an Outkast album. I which isn't a bad thing. Outkast no, is brilliant, yeah. you know? But um, some of the songs so, just had that same kind of, you well, know, vocals and um, funk and, you know, a lot of the similar kind of feel. So I, I would say two things to, to some of the comments you made. One of them is that this is a soundtrack to the movie. Um, so there, um, you don't need to see the movie to like listen to this soundtrack. And the only thing I recognized when I listened to this was the first track is used in the trailer um, with that like big rock guitar hook. 
but um it's a really good guitar hook yeah no there's doubt. a lot I was, I was blown i'll be honest i was blown away when it started I yeah was, this is gonna be fun and in, in in one of the greatest album credits of all time boots riley and damien gallegos are credited with doing the hand claps on the album <laughs> i had never seen that before but you know this album does use hand claps to to, to great effect but but let me just say this is a soundtrack to a movie so this isn't necessarily what the coup would make for any old album and um there's a line in hey saturday night where he says lust uh, lust revolution and love the holy trinity and I that's that. really kind of what the, all these songs are about like those three themes um and and then I would say when you said like, you know, I was surprised because it's not much hip hop. Like when I look at it, there's like not much rapping. Most of, a lot of the songs really only have one or two parts where Boots Riley raps. Um, yeah, it felt more Prince so, to me, Outcast at times than but like a, a straight hip hop album. Yeah, what I said, well, I love Outcast, first of all. But what I said last week was this is an album I just put on when I'm like outside grilling or hanging out. Like, yeah, I mean, this is, I like the coup. Yeah. Um, and this album is not something I'm like deeply like the message is what I like about it here. I just think this album, the first, the first four or five songs have insane hooks that I do not think can be denied. I mean, uh, Hey Saturday, uh, that, that the guitar in the first song, Hey Saturday Night, and also like Hey Saturday Night, just that whole chorus, um, the outro in Anitra's basement tapes, just a great hook. And then What the Girl, the whole song, sorry, I've written down as What the Girl because my daughter asked for it once. She's like, can you play that song, What the Girl? And I'm like, da, 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 all right, yeah, yeah. We, we can play that. Is there an accordion in that song? I could have sworn I heard an accordion. I, I think there might be. But I mean, that whole there's song. There's an accordion, but there's a Janelle Monet in that song. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's phenomenal. She brings it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely see the appeal of the album and I enjoyed it, but I did kind of question why I wasn't enjoying it more than I was because on paper, it's got a, so many elements that I like. And one thing, this I, I tried, I, I came upon this realization kind of late, like yesterday or today. And so I, I only got to listen through like maybe once with it in mind, but it felt like all the songs, I could be wrong, but they had each song had one rhythm and did not ever divert from that rhythm. So it's usually a hard driving, you know, upbeat situation, but even when it would sw switch to a chorus and then back to a verse or something, the rhythm stayed constant. Um, I think that's probably pretty accurate. Um, 
So what you're saying is relay a roux into your brain. <laughs> no, actually, if anything, I, you know, I was probably comparing it more to Hello Nasty because oh. because we listened to two hip hop albums, um, and you know, this there there were things I liked about Sorry to Bother You soundtrack in, that Hello Nasty didn't have, and vice versa. But that just struck me as really odd for such a creative band to to have that tactic. Yeah, I mean, well, so they're. They're shorter songs. I would yeah. say uh, Anitra's Basement Tapes and Out and Over Sticky Sunrise are the songs that come to mind that kind of don't have very traditional structures. Um, and uh, whether the tempo even changes there, I don't know. Um, yeah. I I'm, I'm going to guess they don't. I could be wrong, but... The funny thing about Anitra's Basement Tapes, which is maybe my favorite song, it's one of my top three for sure. But I totally thought in the chorus he was singing, I want to smoke a potato with you. Yeah, baby. no, I thought the same thing. <laughs> I and have I, to look it. I actually have to look it up too. Yeah. And so smoking a tailor is apparently a factory made cigarette, um, a, as cool opposed song. to a hand rolled. I like the piano soloing in that song too. Yeah, I actually think as much as Mark, you said like these songs come and go and all that. I think like when the vocals are over, these songs do tend to linger and do something musically interesting for like the 20 to 45 seconds uh, afterwards where I think a lot of the times in pop, it's like you just hit that final chorus and then like, you know, you, you fade out or you, or you cut. Um, and I think that that piano solo is a really good example. One of the cool things about the album being so short was that I never got sick of it. I enjoyed all the songs and it w certainly wasn't a tedious listen. In fact, when it ended, I would go right back and start it again. And I had no problem. Like I just didn't get sick of it at all. I enjoy every one of those songs. I'm just saying that like, I, I remember the feeling of hearing that first opening track, Hey Saturday Night, really, really great. Anitra's definitely good. But then the second half, I noticed that the the album actually has, each side has a different name. Yeah. The first four tracks, side A is called First of All, and then side B is And Then. And I think the And Then second side, it's just not quite at the same level as the first that's, side that's pretty much undeniable <laughs> and um so i'm kind of left like all right the second side was good it wasn't bad it wasn't amazing but it was yeah. just you know like i said nothing particularly outstanding but it was just good solid i'm like i'm very happy to have been introduced to this band i would like to hear more of their stuff but um it just kind of comes and, and goes like it it hits me when i'm listening to it and then i'm like all right that's good you know not like oh my god like a lot of pop music it's a confection yeah, yeah. Let me just say one thing though, and this might get me uh, excommunicated from Oakland, but I think the E40 verse is just pretty awful in, in Crawl Out the Water. Um, and I wanted to know if you guys knew, E40 is very big here. And I've never understood how big he is in the rest of the country. So do you guys have any opinion on E40? Not much. G-Eazy from uh, Oakland? I think he's from the East Bay, but um, I have- He comes to mind when I think about Bay Area hip hop, but that's about as far as I go. I think of the Bay Area hip hop sub, sub that was called Hyphy. 
Yeah, with uh, Keek the Sneak. I had a hyphy compilation at one point, and it was awesome. Um, G Easy is from Oakland, so there you go. See, I had no idea who he was, and I was literally walking down the street uh, when I lived in San Francisco, and there was about a two and a half block long line outside of the Fillmore, and it was like all high school looking kids. I don't mean to knock G Easy, but it was all high school looking kids. And I went up to them and I'm like, who's playing here? And someone's like, G-Eazy. And I'm like, okay. Because it's like, I didn't need to say any more to make everyone be like, who's the old guy with all the questions? (laughs) Gene goes up to those kids and he's like, in my day, we listened to (laughs) (laughs) G-Difficult. I'm not that old. (laughs) Oh, man. I don't know. There's just, you know, I think I really like Boots Riley. There's a lot of lyrics on this album that stand out to me hey saturday night please be the chaos choreographer because sunday morning it's the court stenographer um that was a great line um, you know certain ones stuck out and that was that's amazing in anitra's basement tapes uh he says when um when the bass makes the whole world bounce is in the chorus and it's just it's good and then near and dear to my heart is a line in that song is when I divide no when you divide I love your quotient and oh, now he's going now he's oh, going on that's yeah yeah and then the last song he talks about calculations and equations all the way down to your molecules but Anitra's basement tapes I thought was really good in that it's a hip-hop love song which is uh it's hard to pull off I think. And I think they did a good job. Um, like, I, I don't know. I think of hip hop love songs and a, a lot of times that goes into the, this is too saccharine. This is too cheesy. Um, and I, I think this is, you know. Someone's not into Method Man and Mary J. Blige duetting. Yeah, I mean, like, that's, that's, that's a, a good example, but like, you know. Do they call each other boo in that? They definitely call each other boo, right? They got <laughs> yeah. it. What about Mariah and ODB? No, oh, that's not that's not a love song. That's like that's fantasy, right? Yeah, yeah. That's just a madman raving on top of a pop yeah. song. <laughs> I think it's almost uh, great. You, you want to give an assignment? I think that, you know, thinking about my enjoyment of the album, thinking about the live instrumentation, thinking about how it actually does make me want to go back and listen to it again after listening to you guys and your thoughts on it. Uh, and I give these guys a lot of credit. Um, but at the same time, it was like, was this unbelievably outstanding or revolutionary in any way? Not particularly. I think when you factor all that in i'm gonna give it a b there's obviously like super talented uh musicians who made this album and there's tons of good playing and good stuff but i don't think there's a lot of great stuff there's there's certainly not any great track that blows me away um i think like overall there's no bad songs either but it just kind of occupies that middle zone of, of good, uh, but not great. 
you know, and so it's frustrating when I catch a little glimpse of Funkadelic or Prince, but then it doesn't go there. It, they don't go off. So it's just got these amiable jams that romp and they, they kind of keep moving on. At times, it's a little bit simplistic. At times, it's a little bit annoying with how simplistic it is with some of the, with some of the hand clapping and jingle style. I do love hooks, but you know, they gotta be the right kind of hooks. Um, but yeah, I, I think as this podcast goes on, Dave's <laughs> theory of hooks kind of crumbles under its own weight. <laughs> it it kind of gets back to the songwriting explanation where at a some point it's just like, I liked this, therefore it has hooks. I mean, you're you're probably not off, but totally understand why this would be an awesome summertime barbecue album. I would totally throw it on, you know, and enjoy it. This is a good album. It's a B minus for me. I give this album a solid A. This isn't trying to do any more than what it is as a soundtrack. I think um, if you want to talk about Hey Saturday Nights, just too positive. Hey Saturday Night is probably the only song that's not a little bit subversive underneath. Um, I think that this album, when you say it doesn't have any standout tracks, um, I have a really hard time with that because the hooks in the first track are just undeniable. And if that's not a standout or I don't know what is, um, I would say again, like I think the first the first whole side, all those songs are just are just killer. These are these are bangers, as the kids say. Um, then the second side, we go more electronic. I like electronic, as we can see with uh, what we talked about with Hella Nasty. And you know, there's some drop off, but there's still a lot of a lot of depth. But uh, yeah, a album. Okay, it is time. That for, time for the assignments. And I'm going to do something a little different. Excellent. I'm going to ask you two whether you want something else from left field or if you want to get back to the grind. Oh, no. What is it? Choose your own adventure? Choose your own adventure. So I've got two right here. We have to come up with a consensus, Dave. Um, I will say this was one of the easier episodes, listening-wise, we've had lately. And I'm not saying that I'm encouraging more of that, but it was a pleasure where one of the three albums wasn't an insane chore on my brain. Mark likes an unmelted face. (laughs) He says that having selected Gates of Delirium, but anyway... (laughs) That's I, that, that is me in a nutshell. So there you go. That gets some delirium. That's a walk down, walk in the fire. Yeah, I could, I could go either way. I could, I could go either way on this one. I don't know if you want to flip a coin. I, I, I think flipping a coin is good. I don't have a coin. <laughs> you want to flip a, a thirty-six sided die? Right, yeah. What sided guys. die do you have? Gene? I got we'll all. Say, the, name we'll is, say from the number one to the middle of whatever the die is, or the low and the high. D twenty. That's a 20-sided die? 20 sides. All right, let's say one through 10 is your, what did you say, like left field choice? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And 10 to 20, and uh, no, 11 to 20 is slave to the ground. Okay. 
11. On three. 11. <laughs> Best two out of three. <laughs> You're right. Come on, do it again. We're just joking. No, 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 let's no. do it. Let's do it. Come on. Okay. The album is a short album. All right. God bless. It oh. is this band's third and final album. But wait, there's more because they are in the studio right now. This album came out um, in 2014 and the band broke up, but they are in the studio again now. And I am so absolutely excited. The band is Gridlink and the album is Long Henna. All right. So... I feel like I, I tend to do long preambles. I, I don't want to do it with this one because I want to save a lot for when we get into it on the episode itself. But um, this album that I've selected actually does have a connection to one of the albums that we discussed on today's album assignment podcast. Um, they're a little bit of a it's a little bit of a coincidence and a little bit not. This is an album that I had shortlisted to want to talk about on the podcast. But because of the connection, I thought now would be a good time to, to pull it out. And the connection is that this album was produced by Lee Scratch Perry, Dr. Lee, PhD. And I could start by saying that this is my favorite reggae album ever made, or maybe my favorite reggae album that was made by somebody not named Marley. We will save all of that. But what I'll just say right now is that this album was originally released in 1977 and it was produced by Lee Scratch Perry in his legendary Black Ark recording studio in Kingston, Jamaica. And the name of the album is Heart of the Congos and it is by the Congos. Wow. It's definitely time to dip into those warm reggae waters yeah it's yeah. summertime also and i looked at my list and i'm like boy i got a lot of good wintertime yeah. stuff for you but part of the congos that's that's right for some august soon to be august listening yeah we're gonna get goth soon enough but for now we're gonna keep it, keep <laughs> it although i did listen to the entire cure catalog once during the heart of the summer <laughs> a number of years ago i don't I, know why but i am completely so untethered great. to seasonality when it comes to music listening i don't I don't notice any kind of trend, really. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. No, I, I, I am seasonal. All right, All right Dave. Well, speaking of uh, the hot summer months, I want to recommend a hot-ass album to you guys. This is one that I probably have mentioned before. So you might have checked it out, you know, when I, I name-dropped it to you eons ago as, as a favorite of mine. But I don't know. I, I didn't get a huge response from you guys so i don't know if you checked it out or you listened to it once it wasn't your thing but i think it's an album that deserves the attention and respect of the hosts here tonight i also feel like i've been letting gene kind of dominate the metal space on this podcast yes <laughs> and yeah. uh, and it's time for me to don't do it time for me to stomp into the ring yes so i'm gonna sign you guys one of my favorite slept on metal albums of the past few years. This is a creation by a, a, basically a one man band. Uh, it's the, the brainchild of a man named Chris Black, sometimes goes by Professor Black. 
He's had many different underground bands. What, one of the more popular ones is a traditional metal band called High Spirits. But this is his band Dawnbringer. It's an album called Nucleus from 2010. And to me, this brings a lot of what I love about all kinds of different metal to the table in one really great album full of awesome songs. So I hope you guys enjoy it. And even, nice. even if you don't, you'll get something out of it. Thanks for checking out this episode of the Album Assignment Podcast. Hope you enjoy hip-hop, prog, and are coming back next week for even more metal and reggae. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs> who, doesn't want, who doesn't want to sign up for that? <laughs>